morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 16, through chapter 4, verse 4. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of the Lord. Morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm just so thankful that you are here this morning. Uh, This is an important day for our church. At least it feels like it's important to me. Uh, Don't laugh before I say, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's Super Bowl Sunday and I'm a Niners fan. That's what's so important. (laughs) Don't worry, I won't talk about football too much. It's not the most important thing in life, but it sure is important in our country, at least Super Bowl certainly is. It's bigger than some of our national holidays even. So I'm just thankful that you showed up at all on Super Bowl (laughs) Sunday. That's really great. The only thing better than uh, preaching a message on Super Bowl Sunday is preaching a message on Super Bowl Sunday about fasting. (laughs) More on that in a minute. I'll just tell you though, my main point is that you need to fast from football, (laughs) which you will do after today for the next six months before the next season starts, but you probably aren't gonna actually fast from football on this day, and that's okay. I really just hope that my Niners can beat Taylor Swift. That's... (laughs) So yeah, we're talking about fasting on uh, Super Bowl Sunday when so many people are gonna be eating lots of different things, nachos and meatballs and taquitos and I don't know what you have at your Super Bowl parties. Plus, we are serving donuts after the service. I feel like there's a disconnect somewhere (laughs) in there. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just that we're giving you a a little treat before you start your fasting for Lent. (laughs) More on Lent in a minute. The donuts, though, uh, they're really not just a treat, not like a little sugar rush before you give up all the sugar during Lent or something like that. The, the donuts, truthfully, are meant to kind of make you linger for a little while after church uh, because it's important for us to be together and to spend time together. At least I think it's important, even though it may be difficult on a Super Bowl Sunday to linger for too long at church. I just think about, you know, the first year of the pandemic and that time where we couldn't 
be with each other in person, and that was hard. So I don't want to take for granted the opportunities that we have where we can be in person with one another, spending time with one another, and looking for even more opportunities when we can do that. Because following Jesus is not something that we tend to do very well on our own. We need other people to encourage us along in the process. We need to be in relationship with other people. And relationships thrive on being in person with others, having interactions with others. It's like our bodies are in some way important to who we are, like they're a part of us. In fact, C.S. Lewis, uh, he said about humankind, he said, uh, whatever their bodies does affects their souls. Now for millennia, there have been groups of people who have tried to diminish the importance of the body and say it's really only the spirit or the soul that is actually important for the person. But God himself came to us in a person, in a body. And so the the way that we grow in Christ has to incorporate our bodies in some way. Now, this doesn't just have to do with the Super Bowl or donuts afterward. This has to do with our series right now called Realistic Rhythms of Grace. This is what we're tying into the season of Lent. And Lent is that season that leads up to Easter. And it's characterized by uh, themes of repentance and renewal. And typically with Lent, there are certain practices that you can take on in the process of, uh, of uh, leading up to Easter. And those practices tend to be embodied things, like what we're talking about today with fasting. Fasting ends up being one of those things where you have an embodied practice that can be transformative for you when it's incorporated into your worship because your body is part of your worship. That's how God made us to be. This is a reason why fasting is important. And I know Y'all have had difficulties in life, Uh, but we're going to get to stories here where we see how people incorporated fasting or how Jesus did in ways uh, that helped him see his dependence on God. Romans 12, Paul wrote this to uh, the... um, To the Roman church, he said, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Our bodies are a part of our worship. Now, I can worship God by reclining in a chair. I am able to do that. But when I stand up and I raise my hands up in praise to God, or when I bow down humbly before God, I am engaging my body in what my heart feels, and that ends up enhancing what my heart feels. 
It's kind of like being on a roller coaster. Our kids uh, haven't been to Disneyland, but they have seen some of those first-person videos on YouTube of being on the rides at Disneyland. They love it. But if you've ever been on one of those rides, you know that the fullness of that experience comes from being on the ride. And then the video just becomes something that's mildly entertaining, like this sermon, perhaps. (laughs) Fasting is one of those practices that brings our body into our worship experience. Now, fasting is simply going without food. But that may raise some questions for you, like, well, what does that look like? What kinds of food do I fast from? How long do I have to fast? And aren't I going to be miserable when I fast? Which makes me think, should I even be doing it? Now, for some of you, you maybe shouldn't be doing it. If you're dealing with something like an eating disorder, if you're dealing with certain health issues in your life right now, that those things may make it so that fasting is just not a good choice for you at all. But isn't it required to do some fasting? Or isn't God going to be disappointed if I don't do some fasting? The answer to those two questions is no. It is not required in our faith to to fast. And I don't think God is going to be disappointed in any way if we don't fast. It's not like we can earn brownie points from God by fasting. There's a pun there for you. It's not like we can level up spiritually by fasting. It's not like we can manipulate God by fasting. Like he's obligated to us in some way if we end up doing a fast. My first big uh, fasting experience was not long after I came to faith and I moved here to the Portland area and the church that I was a part of, they were doing five days of fasting. They were encouraging the entire church to fast during this five day period of time. But they were just saying like, hey, do a half a day or do one day, maybe you can do two days, but just do it within this five day period of time when we're all gonna be fasting. Well, my personality, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do all five days. I'm gonna make sure that I do the absolute best that I can. And I did end up fasting for all five of those days. And it was a meaningful experience for me. And I really tried to connect my heart to the process of what was happening. But there definitely, there definitely was a sense of achievement in it. In a sense of me needing to achieve the maximum amount that was given within those parameters. The trouble with practices like fasting is that we so easily twist the intentions of them. So they end up being hurtful things rather than helpful things. They end up making us feel better about ourselves or feel worse about ourselves. But fasting isn't intended to make us feel better or to feel worse. We so often bring it in like it's an aspect of religion. And for some of you, maybe that's how you feel about fasting. It's just another one of those religious obligations that's going to end up making me feel guilty. No guilt. Because it's not 
required in our faith. Again, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the Colossian church. He said, so don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Fasting is not a requirement within our faith tradition. It is not the substance of our faith. Jesus is the substance of our faith. Jesus is the focal point of our faith. Jesus is the most important person for us to be putting our attention to in our lives and in our faith. Fasting, though, still can be a helpful part of our pursuit of Jesus, though. In fact, I would say a heartfelt fast quickens the spirit. There's another pun in there for you. Which is really just another way of saying that when our whole selves are rightly engaged in the process of fasting, body, mind, heart, and soul, then it can actually awaken us in our lives a bit. But first, you have to have your identity grounded in who you are in God's sight. There's actually a really good example of this in the life of Jesus and in our passage today, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was one of the early disciples of Jesus, one of the first followers of Jesus. He was a pretty terrible guy. But Jesus redeemed him, and then he ended up writing this story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we call that story the Gospel of Matthew. And the first time in the story where we see Jesus as an adult, he's going out to be baptized by this guy named John, who maybe looked like some of the homeless people in Portland. He was a little bit of a wild guy. And people were coming to him, confessing their sins, and he was baptizing them with a baptism of repentance, which means they were turning away from their sins and they were turning wholeheartedly toward God. So it's at this time Jesus is coming to the Jordan River to John in order to be baptized. And once he's baptized, that's where it says here in chapter 3, verse 16, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Jesus is about to face a challenge. He's going to be out in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. But before he goes to face that challenge, God the Father has a message for him that he is secure in his love and that the Father delights in him as a son. Now you and I, when we identify ourselves with Jesus, that same message is for us as well. In Jesus... We are dearly loved children, and we bring joy to God. 
I try to tell things like this to my kids all the time. You make me happy. I'm filled with joy when I'm with you. That's an important message to hear. In fact, I'm just going to ask you to pause for a moment. And can you imagine God saying that to you? You bring me joy. We need to be grounded in that message and in that identity from God before we undertake any kind of practice like fasting. Otherwise, what we're going to do is we're going to use fasting to try and get love and approval from God, or we're going to use it to try and get love and approval from other people, and then fasting has lost all value for us. Matthew goes on in the passage here. Chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, you want to be like Jesus. Today's the day. Get started. 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's being tempted, tested, by the devil in three specific ways. Now, I don't know about you, but if I miss my mid-morning snack, I'm hangry and I am not prepared to be tested. (laughs) But Jesus is prepared. And what he says here is is an important lesson for us when considering fasting. He says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You probably are aware of this, but food is pretty important for our lives to be sustained. I mean, we can go a long time without food, but we have to have it if we're going to keep on living. But Jesus here says that there's something else that's even more important. The word of God, the message of God, the instruction of God. And Jesus is quoting something here that was said long ago in the past. Just as Jesus had to wander in the wilderness for 40 days being tested, the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years while they were being tested. And it was right after that period of testing that Moses says this to the Israelites. Moses says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you 
causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that humankind does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. The Israelites needed everything from God during that time. They needed God to bring forth water from a rock. They needed God to provide food every single day by having manna come down from heaven. They wouldn't have even had clothes if it wasn't for God causing their clothes to not wear out. Jesus is reaching back to that time in his own time of testing to say, God the Father will take care of the needs that I have. In fact, even at the end of this passage, it says that the angels, the messengers of God, they came and took care of Jesus. He didn't have to look for anything else for his provision, protection, or his power. Those are the three main temptations that Jesus had to face. Where was he going to have provision, protection, and power? And those are the same three temptations that you and I face all the time in our lives. This is a reason why fasting is a good practice for us to engage in. Now, we've all had our own challenges in life. I know that you have had challenges in life, but I'm guessing that you probably haven't wandered in the wilderness for 40 years without supplies. I would also guess that you probably haven't gone 40 days without food. In fact, I might even guess that anything you actually need, you probably already have. In what ways... Do we live that we are actually dependent on God? I think for the most part, it seems like we get by on our own pretty well. Now, hopefully, you trust that God is the one who is actually providing all that you have. But I think it's pretty hard for us to feel utterly dependent on God in our day-to-day American lives. Fasting is a discipline that opens us up to dependence on God. When I abstain from food and feel the pangs of hunger, I get to learn how God is going to provide for me in other ways. Through prayer, through the encouragement of his word, through just the strength that he is going to give me throughout the day. Why would I fast if I don't need to? Because it helps me realize how much I actually need God. When my body gives up on the food that it takes in, I get to see how I can rely on God in other ways. Do any of you uh, in your household have any people who fall asleep in the car? I do. There are six of us in the house, and when we go on a road trip, five of us are sleeping. (laughs) 
within 30 minutes, usually. It doesn't matter how excited we are about the road trip. It's just the sound of the engine, the rumble of the engine, the wheels on the road, the vibration of the car, and pretty soon everybody's asleep. And then inevitably somebody wakes up somewhere along the line and they're just like, where am I? (laughs) We have a whole lot of things in our lives that lull us to sleep consistently. Why do I need to fast? I need to fast so that I can stay awake in life so that I can be attuned to my own dependence on God and not be lulled to sleep by all the things that I have in my life to the point that I wake up somewhere down the road and go, where am I? Okay, we've talked about a couple of the whys of fasting. Why? Because your body is a part of your worship. Why? Because it helps us to see how dependent on God we really are. How about some of the hows? I'll go back to the phrase I mentioned earlier for this. A heartfelt fast quickens the spirit. The how of fasting connects a lot to our hearts and what's happening in here. Before Steph and I were married, when we were dating, Steph uh, went away for two months She went to Nepal, Uh, and this was before the time of smartphones, so we didn't have like regular connection with each other, but it wouldn't have even mattered if we did have smartphones because she was trekking in the Annapurna mountain ranges, which is uh, part of the Himalayas. So she was in a really remote area. There wasn't uh, an easy way for for us to communicate. Every once in a while, she'd find her way to an internet cafe and send an email just letting me know that she was still alive. But I missed her so much during that time. I was so lovesick for Steph and not hearing from her and not knowing how she was doing, I began to notice that I wasn't eating as much as I normally did. Abstaining from food ended up becoming the natural outcome of how much I missed Stephanie. That's the natural result. One day in Jesus' ministry, the uh, disciples of John, the same crazy John who baptized him earlier in the story, the disciples came up to him and said, hey, why don't your disciples fast like everybody else does? And this was... Jesus' response to them. He says, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will mourn. And then their mourning will result in fasting. They're going to end up longing for somebody who isn't there. And that's going to cause them to fast in their mourning. Just like I longed for Steph and I naturally just stopped eating food as much because I was thinking of her. Fasting that begins with this kind of desire of the heart will lead toward our formation and our awakening 
of who Jesus is in our lives. This is what makes it a rhythm of grace. Not a religious obligation to fulfill, but a rhythm of grace that wakes us up to who God is. To help us to see really where our desires lie. So what does that look like? Where are the longings in your life? What are those longings that might bring us to this point of fasting? There are lots of different things that it could be. It could be a longing for God. You just long for God. Like Jesus was saying, the bridegroom is gone. He's not here with us right now. We mourn for him. We long for him. We want more of God in our lives. Some of the biblical poetry kind of talks about this a little bit from the Psalms. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? It's like there's this picture of whatever I could eat or drink isn't going to satisfy me anyway. What am I thirsting for? What am I longing for? I'm longing for God and food and drink isn't going to satisfy me the way that I'm longing for God. And so fasting becomes just a natural thing that happens in that longing for God. Or maybe it's something like you're longing for a change in your life. You know that there's a habit that is formed in your life that isn't good. It isn't what it should be. And you're longing for that to change, but you need the help in order to actually change it. And you're looking to God to bring about some sort of change in your life. Kind of like Joel the prophet says here, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Maybe there's something in your life that you long to get rid of, and you'll turn to God with fasting, weeping, and mourning. But more importantly, with your heart, you'll go to him with your heart, looking for that change that only he can bring through the power of his spirit. Maybe you're looking for answers in life in some way. We see this in the book of Acts where the early church was often fasting and praying when they needed to know what God wanted them to do within their ever-changing circumstances. Maybe you're at a decision point in life right now. What am I going to do at this juncture? And you want clarity from God. You want you want to be led by God through that process. And in that longing, you're willing to give up food in order to seek God for what this decision might be in your life. Maybe it's justice. You long for justice in the world. Maybe there's an injustice even in your own life. And this is like the prophet Isaiah, what God said through the prophet Isaiah. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. You long for justice. Are you laughing about hiding from your relatives? I get it. It's okay. <laughs> Isaiah says, don't do it. Not the fast he's looking for. 
Let me just tell you what some of my longings are right now, and in particular for the church as I step into a new role right now. I long for New Hope to be a church where we aren't just all consumers, but where there's true community here where you are known for who you are and you know other people. And I long for everybody in the church to participate in the life of the church in some way. You all have a role in the church. You have some way that God has prepared and equipped you. You have something that you can contribute to the church. And so I long for us to be a church where we are all participating and engaged in the life of the church because when that happens, the church is just going to come alive even more when we are all actively engaged in what's happening in the church. I long for transformation and growth in people. I long for people to have an encounter with Jesus, to see who he is in all of the truth of who he is, and to be changed by that. And then I long for people to see who God has made them to be, how, they, how God has equipped them, skilled them, gifted them, given them experiences, and that they would grow in that continually evermore. Because that, again, is how the church comes alive when each person is living out the ways that God has created them, who God has created them to be. I long for New Hope to be a humble community, one that doesn't seek power from the world, but looks directly to the greatest power, Jesus, the King of Kings, for everything that we need, for all of our provision and our protection and our power, that we will humbly look to Jesus before we look anywhere else. And then that we would humbly then serve our community around us, knowing that we are the beloved of God that we would take that faith, hope, and love that's been entrusted to us and we would go share it with other people. We would humbly serve this neighborhood. We would humbly serve the city of Portland. We would even go around the world serving anywhere that God would call us. And I long for us to be a praying church, to have real encounters with God together I know you all pray individually, but when we come together to pray, there is something that happens in the kingdom of God. And when we encounter God together, that's going to fundamentally change the church, the city, and even us individually. So I want more opportunities for us to be praying as a church. In fact, I'll just invite you right now. Tuesday mornings, 6.30 in the morning, we are praying here at the church. I know, 6.30 in the morning. It's early, but it's a meaningful time. And I think it's a time that will actually create change in the church, in our city, and in you individually when you come and engage in that time. Now, some of you can't make 6.30 in the morning work, and I get that. There's also Monday night, 7 o'clock online. We have church. There's Wednesday night. We have Spanish church here, uh, or Spanish prayer here uh, at the church. 
We've got another prayer and worship night that's going to be coming up here uh, in April. Uh, All these times for us to come together and have an encounter with God together. I long for more of that. Now, any of these longings that I have mentioned at all, all of these things, when we engage fasting with them, can end up being a transformative, uh, a transformative experience at, uh, for us where we end up being formed more into the people that God is calling us to be, which is to be formed into people who are like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus isn't just a mental game up here. Becoming like Jesus engages our whole selves, including our bodies. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, what our bodies do affects our souls. So where do we start? Maybe you've never tried fasting before. Where do you start? I would say start small. Don't start for achievement. Don't start for maxing out the most amount of reps that you can do. Start small. Maybe you do a half a day. Maybe there's something in particular that you choose to fast from during the season of Lent. Don't make it about achievement, though. And I would say start with the why. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to engage your body in worship? Are you doing it to understand more uh, the, your dependence on God? And then make sure your heart is connected with it as well. What are the longings that you have that are connected with why you are fasting? And I'd say start with good expectations. That is, fasting isn't a way to work magic in some way. You can't manipulate God with it. He's not obligated to you because you fast in order to give you instant results for something that you're looking for. But instead, it's a long-term discipline that continually forms us into the image of Jesus. It becomes part of that process of becoming Christ-like. But mostly, I would say, just start. Find something. During this Lent season, pick something. Maybe just pick one day even in the Lent season when you would try fasting. I got a good idea for you. Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, the start of Lent is traditionally a day of fasting. It's a day that emphasizes that aspect of repentance, that theme within Lent. So here at the church, we're going to have three open houses on Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, morning, noon, and night. You can find uh, the details of the times and everything like that on our website. You don't have to register. You just have to come and openly confess all your sins to everybody and just joking, you don't have to do that. (laughs) You can privately, quietly confess your sins or you can find somebody that would listen to your sins if you would like to. It's family friendly. You can bring your kids. If you have kids, you're welcome to bring them from your household. Anybody is welcome to come. You'll receive ashes on your forehead if you want to do that. And then you can spend some time in prayer as well. That's the beginning of Lent. It starts with repentance and then it ends up being followed by renewal. But it's not required. 
It's just an invitation. It's an invitation for all of us to recognize our dependence on God, to bring our whole selves into the worship process, to have our desires aligned with God's desires, and then to experience renewal from him as he fills us with, our, with his spirit and gives us new life. And that's what I hope for all of us here, not only individually, but collectively as a church during this Lent season. Let's pray. Jesus, you bring life. You brought life through your death, but you do bring life. You also bring freedom to us. You ask for a lot. You ask for our whole selves, but you don't ask for us to fast in particular ways at particular times within a particular amount You ask for our hearts. You ask for our minds. You ask for our bodies. You ask for our whole selves to have our attention on you, to worship you, to know you. You said you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to walk in that way, to seek that truth, and to experience that life that you offer to us. Help us to see how good you are, Lord. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Amen.